It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is Patty Holstrand, and this is KWOD Radio. It's Tuesday, which is always far cry better than Monday. <laughs> well, we're on today, and we're talking about time travel, which, of course, most of you know who know me, is my second favorite subject. Those who really know me well know what my first favorite subject is, so we won't talk about that. Anyway, we're talking to Michael Brotman. He's a PhD, believe it or not, he's a doctor. I don't think he's a doctor of time travel, so we'll just have to discuss that. But Brotman's career as a science fiction writer began as a slight detour into romantic fiction with a novel called Future Pass, currently only available in ebook format. His first sci fi series, Rome's Revolution, which we're talking about tonight, was originally written as three separate books under the, the title. Virus 5. In 2011, Brotman combined them into a single huge volume, 167,000 words, omnibus entitled Rome's Revolution. And simultaneously published it in paperback and called ebook readers. This was followed by a fast paced sequel entitled The Ark Lords, which was released in 2012. Riveting conclusion entitled Rome's Evolution was released this summer, 2013. Tired of working on a new series with a new book expected early in 2014. Hello. So, welcome. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Good, how are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. It's hot today. Yeah, I imagine. Arizona, I imagine <laughs> Arizona the summer's pretty hot. Yeah. Where are you at? I live in New Jersey and I'm in the basement, so I'm cool and it's fine right now. Oh man. <laughs> go out for a few hours, come back, hose down and go out again for a few hours, come back and hose down again. So it's it's uh it's been one of those uh really nasty type of August August is just really bad here in Arizona. It's not only hot, but it's just sticky because it threatens rain, but then it doesn't happen. So, <laughs> uh, teases you. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, the rest of the year we can't really complain. So we just complain in August. <laughs> okay. So I talked about you, gave you an introduction, talked about your your books, and, and I'm going to say the one thing I brought up. Which I wrote down here, imagine waking up 14 centuries from now only to discover that everything you know about the universe is wrong and you are nothing but a despised relic from a long dead past. 
I find that, of course, I pulled that out because I think that was really uh, a good depiction, and I wanted to talk about it. Uh, Rome's okay. Revolution. So tell us about the whole encompassing thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Okay. Uh, that'll only take, that's a, that's I, I think I've measured it. It will take about uh, 16 hours to read it to you, but no. Um, I have, I started this book, I know this sounds silly, but I started it in 1973 with my hero, my heroine. My hero's name is Ray, even though it's spelled R E I, and my heroine's name is Rome. And they're kind of, I want to say, star crossed lovers, but they're not because they end up together. So. They just happened to be born 14 centuries apart, so it was kind of hard. I mean, normally it would be hard for them to hook up. But uh, Ray is part of an expedition because he he leaves Earth around 2067, and it's very clear that the Earth is about to go under for a variety of reasons. Pollution, uh, global warming has created uh, continent-sized storms, terrorism has come ashore on the, in the U.S. and is part of it. It's just... There's asteroids buzzing by the Earth. Everyone knows the Earth is not going to make it forever. And so they decide to do something about it. They decide to create ships and send them off into space. And uh, the Kepler mission today, I think it's found several hundred planet candidates. And by then, they know which stars contain uh, the best candidates. And they go off, they go. There's five arcs total. And Ray's arc is supposed to go to the star system of Tau Ceti. Unfortunately, well, you'd expect it. There's a little bit of a problem. They run into an asteroid, and they bounce off, and the ship breaks, and they go tumbling through space for roughly 13 centuries. And just because I need a book, I mean, by accident, they happen to tumble through the Tabit system, which is the grip of the shield of Orion, where they happen to be discovered and rescued. And he's the first one thawed out from this group of frozen people, and uh, it's it's he meets Rome and they fall in love and it's a very nice story but that's not the whole point of it but that was that was what I started out with in 1973 and of course as you can imagine because of science and technology it's changed fairly radically over the last uh, 40 years mm-hmm. yeah, but it's still at its heart it's still it's still a man and a woman and I've always been of the opinion that when you have giant canvas like events, it's easier to focus on them if you focus them through the eyes of specific characters. And I wanted to show what, what would it be like if we just started over? What if we just rebooted society and started over and built a technology based on the ashes of the previous one where the people know about the mistakes we've made and build things completely differently? And that's what Rome society is. Her. Hmm. Wow. Are you there? It's it's oh, it's the prototype go. science fiction <laughs> society, and this guy comes along from a world where everybody is kind of on their own, and they meet, and it's they they kind of together they form a system which is unlike anybody else in her society, and unlike anybody in his, because she understands the science technology of her culture, and he understands how to think for himself, because her, in her society, nobody thinks for themselves. And uh, what happened was, right after he left, roughly 13 years after he left, somebody, either by accident or purpose, released a virus which wiped out basically all. Uh, 
so society was knocked as a whole back to dark ages and they were allowed to grow and develop again just like ours but using a different path so by the time he's awakened society has gotten just a little more advanced than ours but using mm-hmm. a completely different path everything's sustainable uh, nobody you know nobody does anything to hurt anybody else it's just it's a completely different society so it was mm. kind of a neat way to look at two different cultures through and by focusing on a man and a woman and you know their relationship it allows you to differences and, and see that neither society really is perfect and really mm. it's the merging of the two which which produces really something that's going to allow them in their case since it's action adventure to defeat something as big as the sun and something as tiny as a nanite and evil computers and all sorts of neat stuff but together no okay improve fading in and out here I'm sorry you didn't hear me no, not the end. For some reason, uh, about every minute it fades in and out. Hmm. Okay, what part do I need to go back over? <laughs> uh, you're talking about society, and uh, I think you have like a couple sentences at the last of what you said. I lost it. Oh, in every way, it's a classic science fiction story. It's got space travel okay. faster than light, slower than light. It's got ray guns, robots, computers, aliens. It's got all that stuff in it. But it's told from the perspective of a to kind of face take on all odds, and mm-hmm. they work their way through all these various dangers together. Well, that's that is you know that's definitely a classic story, and you know you you have to have some kind of romance in it. People need to be able to identify, and by doing you know adding the romance in with it, it helps people to identify. Yes, it, it, it's a lens allows you to focus on the differences in society, which in turn allows you to focus on your own society uh, through the through the, uh, the the technique of allowing the characters to speak for you and to make observations for you and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so here's my question: Is, is you know, uh, people know me that time travel is just my thing. Um, would they, if if you were moved into the distant future? Do you think that they will have time travel as a normal, everyday thing? Well, as, as I had hinted to you, there is definitely time travel in my books. It's just it's what I call mm-hmm. legal, and I always put the air quotes around it, legal time travel, which is I, I can't handle the idea of somebody going back into the past and changing the timeline because, you know, it's the old grandfather thing. You go back and kill your grandfather, so therefore your father was never born. You were never born, therefore you could never go back in time and kill your grandfather. <laughs> so I love the idea of time travel, but I don't like the idea of really messing up the timeline. So I came up with what I call legal time travel. I'll give you two a very simple example, which we've all seen. Uh, the Hubble spacecraft has this thing called the ultra-deep field where they take images of galaxies that were formed only 40 or 50 million years, not billion, but million years after the Big Bang. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is called observational time travel because it took the light waves that long to get here. So anybody that has the ability to gather in light waves can look into the past. They just can't interact with it. So because my characters have a faster-than-light drive, they can outrun light waves and EM radiation in general 
turn around and look back, and I created this thing called a lensless camera where they can actually focus in on events in the past because they have the ability to go faster than light. And so the first part of the first book is kind of a mystery story. Why are stars disappearing? And these people were sent out to the Tabit system to observe an event that happened 17 years in the past. Well, that's kind of hard to do. You can't go back in the past, at least according to the physics I created, yet you can observe light waves that occurred 17 years in the past. So they create this lensless camera, which is able to focus in on an event that occurred, and they figure it out. And boy, let me tell you, it's really scary what happened and why. <laughs> so that's it's, it's what part else? one. Yeah. That's part one. And part two is Ray, in every real way, and I challenge anyone to prove it otherwise, traveled into the future, which is he went to sleep one day in the year 2067 and woke up in the 20, 35th century. I mean, it's one way only. He can't go back. But it's definitely time travel. I mean, from his perceptual standpoint, he traveled almost 14 centuries into the future. He just can't go back. <laughs> That's okay, awesome. did he use so, a device to do that? Yes, a deep freezer. He was frozen. Okay, okay good. And he just stayed frozen. It's kind of like what we do when we go to bed at night and close our eyes and we wake up in the morning and we look at the clock and it's eight hours later if we have a good night's sleep. I mean, it's not really time travel in this science fiction sense, but it's time travel in that, from your perceptive standpoint, time has changed. It's, it's, you go to bed at 11 <laughs> o'clock and you open up, close your eyes and open them up at 7 o'clock. I mean, where'd the time go? The fact is you weren't aware. So in his case, he's, he's frozen in this thing. It's like a coffin, it's called a sarcophagus. And he's frozen for almost 14 centuries. So he closes his eyes, wakes up, and it's 14 centuries later. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little it's, disconcerting, uh, by the way. They did, they weren't expecting that. He, he keeps saying throughout the course of the first book, "I'm supposed to be dead," but I mean, he comes right. to grips with it because he has this really cute chick that loves him, so he, he comes to grips with it. So, yeah, yeah, you have to you have to uh, be able to do that, um, move the character along the story, and it gets, it is a very interesting premise, and uh, and I never thought about. You know, once you fall asleep and and you you actually time travel, I'll have to have to use that from now on. I'll say where you sleep. No, I was I was traveling time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not true in the truest sense. But uh, right, right. I have done some research on it, and I had there were some scientists that unearthed some tissues of some plants that were frozen thirty thousand years ago, not three thousand, but thirty thousand years ago, and produced wow. a blooming plant from the tundra of Russia. I mean, it's almost, you know, echoes of Jurassic Park, but they right. actually did it. And uh, so it, it has been done where tissues have been frozen. There's actually a frog mm -hmm. in Canada that stays yeah, outdoors during the winter and freezes solid and then thaws out in the spring. So, I mean, it has been done. It's just I don't think anybody's going to volunteer for that experiment, but people are, you know, Walt Disney and everybody else are freezing themselves with the expectation that someday the technology will be there to resurrect you. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's real. It's today. It's not It's not happening yet, but it's no. everyone knows. No one's going to disbelieve that it, it's not going to happen someday. Right. And the thing is that, you know, again, we're assuming that technology is going to be even better than it is now because of the past. You you, take sure. a, you know you can see what happened in the past and and where we've gone from you know turn of the century for instance. Um, we we just majorly jumped in technology. So you, that and you, you say okay within 
certain number of years, we're going to be at approximately where. The only time, the only thing that and, and doesn't, you know, doesn't I, I, work is in space. Right. The, the, that's kind of one of my motivations for writing the book was I didn't. I'm kind of lazy as a writer, and I didn't like really feel like saying what's life going to be like in, in 15th century. So I said, let me just reboot society and have it come back <laughs> to roughly our level of technology, just different. And that way, I don't have to think of all sorts of magnificent new technological changes. There are some. I mean, faster and light travel alone is a pretty significant change. But in general, yeah. their technology is not a whole heck of a lot better. They still use they use flat keyboards and they use screens to view computer stuff, and they have computers. I mean, it, my hero can relate to their society. It's different, but he he can relate. It's not so far beyond his comprehension that he can't understand anything. Although he claims he can. But he actually does. He understands how to navigate his way around that future society because it's not a whole heck of a lot beyond what he left, what he left behind. Right. So, so who despised? He becomes a despised relic. Why then? Because the people of the future kind of took a dislike to the fact that our people, which I, I had to, let me back up one step. The people of the future are called the Viduri. That's they speak their own language. I figured, what's the odds in 14 centuries they're still going to be speaking American English? Not very great. So they're called the Viduri. They speak their own language, and they call us Assassoni, which is their word for assassins, meaning they hold oh. our generation in general responsible for the near extinction of mankind. So while Ray himself is not responsible, they just it's, it's prejudiced against our people. They just say, you All know, right. these are kind of awful people to, to be a part of this. So, although he wins them over, I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, they're at the beginning they're very cold to him and very almost angry, but by the end he single-handedly saves saves the the life of all of life. Period, with the help of Rome, and so they kind of come to a begrudging respect for the fact that people of our age are taught from birth to think for themselves, whereas the Viduri ha- are mind connected and they literally don't think for themselves. They have this mass mind called the overmind. And they just let it do the thinking for them. So they're really kind of boring, and they don't really have any culture. And they don't, I mean, they literally, Ray has one conversation where, with Rome where they're talking about having fun. And when she finally understands the concept, she finally says to him, as far as I understand it, we don't have fun. So <laughs> they, they're not into that stuff. They're not into art, culture, music. They don't read books. They don't watch movies. They don't do anything. They just... They just allow their brains to be used to create this overmind, and they're just kind of, uh, I won't say automatons, but they're they're, they're very submissive to the will yeah. of the overmind. And yeah. uh, Rome, yeah. Rome is, uh, she's called a half-breed because it requires an extra chromosome to achieve this, and, she, and her mother had 24 chromosomes, where her father was more like us. He only had 23. So she's a half-breed, so she can kind of understand both sides of the coin and I use the word consort. She consorted with Ray and uh, got kicked out of the overmind, which was not very good for her initially. She was kind of distressed. But eventually she comes to realize that there is actually value in thinking for yourself. And you, you kind of see her growth in the beginning of the first book through the middle. She becomes a mother. And by the end of the, of the last book, she's, she's pretty mature as a human being. She's grown up pretty well. But you actually literally see her reborn in the first part of the first book when she gets kicked out of the overmind. I can imagine it'd be almost as much of stress as Neil had 
when he got kicked, you know, was suddenly out of the matrix and uh, body and exactly, mind had right, changed. Right. Yeah, it came as a shock to him. <laughs> there was a whole yeah. other world around him than it wasn't what he thought. But he came to grips with it, and that's and that's what she does. She's a very resilient individual, and she eventually comes to the conclusion that her society is on a downward spiral because the overmind is made up of nothing but the consciousness of the participants, the communicants, and they have let the overmind think for them. So it is literally made up of people who no longer think for themselves, and so it's a, it's a downward spiral. And she realizes that's just not the way to do it. So she eventually takes this hybrid of thinking for yourself and transforms her society. That's why the book is called Rome's Revolution. She literally changes her society, having been introduced to the ability to think for yourself. Yeah, I can see actually this happening because I see some people who uh, are just on automatic and they're letting the government take over, uh, you know, they're becoming mindless and like, well, the government should take care of you. No, no. Yes, there's a... there's a funny little scene in part two of Rome's Revolution where she is on Tausetti. They actually make it there eventually. And the overmind there is doing some really kind of nasty things. And she comes, kind of takes on a battle of the of the wits with this overmind, her versus his overmind. And she actually says to him, the overmind should be of the Viduri, by the Viduri, and for the Viduri. I mean, she actually says that. It's like it was kind of funny that <laughs> it, it's kind of an analog for the government. It didn't intend it to be, but it kind of ended up being that way. So well, she wins, you know, too. She actually wins the battle of wits. Well, sometimes fiction has to do that. I mean, as an author, um, you do get your you know, your morals and your values somehow in that story. And if you're wanting to say something about the government, it just, just always seems to come, in, come out. Um, whether we try the, the to The funny thing is... I'm sorry, the funny thing is, when I wrote it, I had no concept that that's what I was doing. I was just writing it because, I mean, I know you're fully aware of this. Once you develop a universe, and once you develop consistent characters, they talk or take on a life of their own, they do whatever the hell they want, yeah, they, and they tell you, and you yes, just have to sit there and write it down as fast as you can. And when she mm-hmm. took on this overman, I had no clue she was going to win. I really didn't. And she brought the thing down to its knees, and I said, oh, my God, this is a, an analogy to the government. I didn't know that when I was writing it. It just came <laughs> out that way. Yeah, yeah, and and if you're, again, if you're, it's one reason I, I ask some fiction authors, I said, so uh, did your character talk to you? You know, uh, <laughs> they, they demand Yes, they demand they always, I write things. I don't. Yeah. I, I kind of just. I kind of just have accepted it at this point. I don't even fight it anymore. There was a time when I was saying, "No, no, no, you have to be over here," and they say, "No, I need to be here." And you go, "All right, well, whatever." As long as you get there eventually, and they just do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing is that nonfiction authors, you know, you ask them that question or you say something about that, they look at you as if you're crazy. <laughs> I know. I, I, I sometimes, I'm not worried about telling you because you are familiar with this, but sometimes you tell yeah. people and they kind of start to take a kind of a step back because they're looking at you like you are insane that you let yeah. you, like my second and third books, Ark Lords and Rome's Evolution. Literally, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, I wrote them. I don't deny that, but the characters mm-hmm. told me they were there, and the characters just scripted the plot, and I just typed it, and I said, "Well, would this be kind of a cool scene?" They and they kind of went along with it, but they just. I mean, really, it's getting kind of easy because they're doing all the work for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
I had somebody ask me, so this one character, are you giving him a, a story? Does he have a story? And he said, well, he hasn't told me that yet. I know. <laughs> he, he said, that's exactly <laughs> what I tell people. Like my brother said to me, what are they wearing on their feet? What kind of shoes? I said, I don't know. They haven't told me yet. It's like, they'll tell me when they tell me. So, <laughs> it, I know it's just the most amazing thing. And like I said, and like you know, it's it's hard to explain to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, they they think, and you're not on meds. <laughs> well, you no, know, no, no, no. Just, we are actually some of the most sanest people in the world because we we kill people on paper, and so <laughs> we don't we don't have to take meds. We're we're pretty safe. Uh, yeah, because I, I don't get, I don't like to kill people, down. but sometimes they do. I, I can't help it. Sometimes they kill people. I can't help it. Well, I try yeah, to avoid it, but but sometimes it just has to be done. Exactly, and, and you have to. It's like okay, that's that's just it. It's a normal story. Uh, I was talking to somebody today about well, you know, the more mayhem you're, that's going on in this story, the obvious thing is there's going to be more people that die. It's just there's no way around it. <laughs> uh, you know, well, if you they're, want they're to also, save everybody. I have, vil- I have genuine villains. Right? I, I have genuine villains, and there are times when they have to be put down. There's just just no way around yeah. it. You can't just let them yeah. glide. Now, there is a lot of redemption, especially in the last book. There's a lot of redemption for some people that were uh, kind of going down the wrong path. But mm-hmm. some of them can't be redeemed. Some of them can't be salvaged. So they gotta they got to go. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, sometimes some of the good guys around them, uh, are you know, die too. That's just the way it is. Uh, you know, I, yeah, we, yeah, we hate I, to lose I, some of our characters, but that's the way, uh, that's the way reality that was, that, is. That was one of my darkest weekends when I was writing the third book, and the characters were in a very precarious place, and yeah. I couldn't get around the fact that Rome kills Ray. I really, you know, I don't, I don't know how many spoilers you like in your podcasts, but <laughs> I couldn't get around the fact that she kills him. I mean, it just is the way the scene went, and I was really yeah. depressed. I said, I really liked him. I really liked their partnership. I'm really depressed that she has to kill him, but there was no, yeah. so I just put the book down. I didn't think about it for the whole weekend, and then I woke up, like, on Monday, and I said, oh, she doesn't kill him. This is what happened. So, but right, really, right. it's like, that, that they told me she's going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. my, my, my I, wife says that quite often, but that's a different thing. <laughs> well, what's even better is, is I, I had this, this old, uh, he's, he's an old Marine, um, he came up to me after reading uh, one of my books. He says, I, I really don't like it that she lost the baby. And I said, well, she was tortured. I mean, well, else would you expect? She goes, I know, but I just don't like it. <laughs> and I started laughing. I, know, I, it's, it's... I said, she's a character. She's not even real. Right. Right. <laughs> and he, right, right. he's passionate about the fact that I I had to, you know, that had to happen. Uh, yes, I, wait, I've yeah. had people come up to yeah. me. Yeah, I've had people come up to me and yell and say, "How dare you do that to them?" I've, I know it happens. <laughs> it's like we we really do put our characters, I mean, characters through a lot. And uh, well, uh, just, there's, I mean, if there's, if there's no drama, let's just let's just say they settle down and live yeah. a happily happy life. There's no drama there. There's nothing interesting. I mean, that's boring. I know. You need I know. you need to uh, like subject them to. 
to to escalating crises. And finally, on my last book, I said, screw that. I'm I'm ratcheting back. I'm going to go down to a crisis that just affects my two main characters and let them mm-hmm. solve it instead of all of life or all of mankind being wiped out again. I mean, they've only saved mankind four times. Enough already. Let them just save their own lives. So I kind of <laughs> dialed it back a little and I made it a lot more personal. Yeah. And, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. I'm telling you, and I know you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of times as I'm writing, I'm basically reading. I know I'm typing, but I'm learning what happens with the story from the characters. I don't even know. It's 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 yeah. it's like a hybrid between writing and reading. Yeah, yeah. And every once in a while, you know, you get a new character that pops in, and I'm going, "What are you doing there?" Yeah. <laughs> my my most why my most are you popular character. I, I know my most popular character ever. His, he's a he was an autopilot named Minimcom. He's he's absolutely hands down the plurality of most people's favorite character. He was just a throwaway. He was just an autopilot that happened right. to be given some extra processing power and some extra memory, and he turned into the most popular character in the whole book. I mean, he's literally the star <laughs> of the middle book. Like I didn't know that. I didn't start. I didn't make that up when I started writing. He was just he was a nothing. He was just a little computer yeah so he's going like okay uh then i have one who popped in there and i'm going okay somebody said if it doesn't move the story then you need to get rid of that character and i'm going like okay then i realized that actually he's necessary in book five yeah i said okay i can't get rid of him because he's necessary later yep i had a throwaway character in the middle of book of the middle of book one, I have a throwaway character who ends up coming back and being the major villain in book th- book three. I mean, how do you know? I thought she yeah. was gone. And she comes back yeah. and says, oh, my God. I, seriously, I was writing the third book. It was just going to be a short story or a novella that I was putting in a compendium of short stories. And all of a sudden, I'm writing it, and all of a sudden I said, oh, my God, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This woman's back, and she's the bad guy. And all of a sudden it turned into a novel. I really wasn't intending to write another novel. It... it she 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 just came back. I had no and say then in it she whatsoever. Took over. She took over. <laughs> oh, and she's not a nice person. Trust me, she is not nice. Uh, well, so. you know that's. Sometimes you wonder when uh, when you write the bad guy or a bad girl, so to speak, and you're thinking, where in the world did that person come from? Because it came from deep inside you, somewhere. I, and I said, I you know, guess. man. I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> I just like I just like to write cool scenes. Like I I I I call my style cinematic. I, I mean I try to write scenes. Not that they'll, they'll ever be made in movies, but if they ever did, I try to write scenes that would make great piece you know set pieces. And mm-hmm. like I was in the middle of writing the first part of Rome's Revolution because as I explained in my little blurb there, it started out as three books, and the only book I ever had in mind was the first one. And I was sitting around one day. And saying, well, what happens after the end? I was just curious. So I just started writing, and it turned out to be the second part now of book two. And then I found out who the bad guy was. It's like, oh, my God. I have no idea where he came from. And it literally becomes almost – he's like this giant evil computer in the bowels of a volcano with fire and brimstone. I think he's the devil. I think – I I don't know. I mean, he just showed up. It's like I just wrote this really cool scene – where Rome says to him, "I thought you were dead," and he says, "Hardly," and it's like, "Oh my God, I got a whole—I have a whole book here." 
So it turned out to only be the last part of my first book, but it was like, I don't know where it came from. I can't believe these these things are floating around my head, but I guess you're right. I guess they are. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it sometimes makes you wonder. It's like, uh, yeah, there's uh, certain things that I try to shy away from. Yeah, that seems to be something that direction that the story is going. Um, for instance, possession, you know, being possessed. I'm going like, I, I, I can't watch any movies that are, have possession because I just can't handle it. And yet, uh, book five is going that direction. So, yep. you know, it's like I, I gotta be, I gotta face it anyway. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> In fact, at the end of my at the end of my last novel of this arc, I finally had to put it down to words what I think is happening and and Rome, my heroine says she thinks that time is not like a movie. It's not a series of frames and your consciousness skips from frame to frame. She says that time is more like a river and your consciousness floats along. But sometimes your consciousness can float up the river or down the river, kind of like Quantum Leap did, except you can't interact. And she said that you know, prescience, the ability to see the future, maybe it's just people's ability to float along, you know, paddle upstream the river and then come back and report what they've seen. And sometimes, I know it's going to make me sound insane, but sometimes I think that's what's happening. Sometimes I think, if you'll notice the, pr- the, the prelude to my first book, I said, this story is true, it just hasn't happened yet. Because it's like it just keeps coming, and it's so consistent. It's like how can I be making up stuff that I never thought of, and yet it all locks in so tightly and so perfectly? How is that possible? So I gave up and said it's probably true. It just hasn't happened yet. So There you go. Maybe you know, somewhere in, in the middle consciousness, uh, when you were unconscious, you, you've actually traveled. I can't explain. Although I will tell you this, you've heard of this before. It always happens in the shower. I don't know why, but you're sitting in the shower and you're just washing your hair and all of a sudden everything clicks in and you have to go racing down the steps in your robe, dripping wet, and quick scribble down some notes so you don't forget it. But it all it all just clicks in the shower. I don't know why. I mean, I could speculate, but that's what happens to me. It's like all of a sudden, my, literally, my second book called The Ark Lords was a shower moment. I said, oh my God, these three things that I just threw in at random in the first book for no particular reason all locked in and it was an entire book. Just an entire book about stuff that was made up for no reason. I, I told a couple people this story, but um, I was, uh, in New Mexico, they have what they call is one of the deepest caves, which is Carlsbad Caverns. I'm not sure if you've ever been there. but Carlsbad? Um, I've heard of it. No, I've heard of it. Sure. Okay, so my family and I went to Carlsbad. It was around Christmas one year, and I was in, deep in the middle of this of this book, um, probably about three quarters of the way out of two hundred ninety six thousand words. And I realized that one of my characters' the reason why she could smell the scent of somebody that reminded her of something is because it was her mentor was having an affair with her mother. Okay. I, and I didn't know it. Here I wrote it. But right. it wasn't until I was a deep in the bowels of the earth, literally. Well, what, how did you scribble that down, though, so you didn't forget it? What, what, did you have a notebook well, with it, you? What did was, you do? It was, so, it was such a revelation that it was something that there's no way you could forget. And it's like... Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> it's a kind of moment, you know? Uh, it, it, she, 
no I keep wonder. a notebook by my bed. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I keep a notebook by my bed. I keep a notebook in the bathroom because you just never know. And I quick scribble stuff down just enough to remember, and then it all ends up in there. And, and you're exactly right. I, I, I swear we're tapping into something. I don't know what it is, but we're tapping into something. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. It happens. Now, my family thought it was crazy. Because <laughs> I, I stopped and I said, oh, my God. But do they all think you're crazy? Yeah, Commander Jason is having an affair with the mother. And they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and just, so they're like, like oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. My my son's like, okay, Mom, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just a revelation, and uh, it, it's like it changed the course of, of the stories, really, um, because actually the, the the whole priest story came to me right in that moment. Right. You know what happened before, um, how were they connected before, and now I know. So yep. <laughs> weird how those things happen. So that's time travel. Somehow you're traveling. Yeah. into the future with your consciousness and you don't realize it and you make these things down and then one day you get more information from the future and it all locks in. So you, you time travel as well and you, with your consciousness. <laughs> Which is cool because I like time travel. So yeah. I'm cool oh, it's awesome. That. I've embraced it. I don't, I don't fight it. I've embraced it. Yeah, that's something that you know my character has to do. She has to learn to embrace that. So, uh, And that's really you know, the whole point of the story is is that uh, she's she's changing and mutating into actually where she can time travel within her mind. So, right, right. That doesn't just happen. It, it you know, it has to have a pro- progression of changes in order to make that something like that happen. But uh, it's, it's really cool to have you know be able to to make up stories like that. So, By the way, the thing you just touched on is is I, I, I love that in my characters, which is they all show genuine growth. They all make mistakes, yeah. but they learn from their mistakes, and they move on. And they're not perfect people by any stretch, but they learn from their mistakes, and they become – they grow, and they grow, and they grow. And that's kind of the underlying theme of all, everything I write is – is if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're doomed to relive them. So these people mm-hmm. all, including the computers, all learn from their mistakes. So it's it's kind of neat to watch their development. You know, I, I, I'm not their father. I don't know what to call me. I'm just, I'm just a scribe, <laughs> but I watch them develop as we go. And it's a very cool thing to see. Definitely. It, it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely different than anything that, that you can do in your life. So you're, you're a PhD. What are you a PhD of? Uh, my PhD is in sensory physiology. My specific area of expertise was auditory, although I studied all the senses, including vision and taxion, which is the skin. I even studied the, the, the chemical senses, which is taste and smell a little bit. And I had a minor in computer science. And there's a lot of what I learned in these yeah, books. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've tried to I've tried to make that clear to you. Is is I write the hardest of hard science fiction every. Thing I put in there, if it can be fact checked, has to check out. I will not, I will re- I refuse to put anything that I know not to be true. I refuse. So a lot of what I learned is in there. There's a lot of physiology. Like I learned, I know about eyes, so I gave my characters 
eye rods, which are the rods in the eyes, but they can see in the infrared, and I gave them U-cones because they can see in the uh, ultraviolet, and I gave my hero Ray, he was genetically modified, and I gave him sonar vision, and I actually gave you the physiological substrate on how that was going to happen, so they rewired his brain like a bat and so forth. All that was from my PhD put into the books to give them you know, the sense of, you know, feel of truth that this could happen, because that's, to me, the element of science fiction is that you can't know it not to be true. You just have to know it's possible. So I put all that mm-hmm. in there. So that that's that's what I did. <laughs> now, I know that you you just wrote a, a actually an article for us for the WAD. And uh have you have you did you read it yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's one it's like is it, is it too heavy duty is it is it too heavy duty? It is heavy obviously. Um but again it's not to realize <laughs> that you're that you're a scientist as well as a you know, science fiction lover. Um which is right. which is which is a cool combination. Okay. Um there's a lot of you know, science fiction people don't have really science background. Uh <laughs> it is better if they did. Yeah. Background. Right. My son my son read my first book and I have my main computer character, his name is Amcom, who is only mostly present in the first part of the first book. Amcom supplies the scientific background for most of the things and I actually I back then I used fonts to show different things speaking. I've learned my lesson, I don't do that anymore, but in the first book I used a lot of fonts. And he said it was so easy to read that, I just skip over any time I see that font, I just skip over it. So <laughs> he enjoyed it. It had action and adventure, but the science he could care less about, so he just skipped over it. <laughs> well, the thing is that actually works well with with our particular readers because they are definitely uh, they read a lot of this. They really enjoy having the science part. Um, matter of fact, I have I don't know how many people who said I can't believe you actually have a science section. And I said, well, what part of science fiction do you right. not understand? <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotta have science. In uh, it. If you don't, if there's no science, it's just fantasy, which is great. And I know I got to tell you, I, I make it sound like I don't like fantasy, but I like it as much as the next person. But I can't do it. I can't write fantasy. I need rules. I need to use my training. I just need to. I need to write hard science fiction that's been researched. I can't do it. But I, I don't mind watching it. I don't mind reading it. I mean, I'm as, as like everybody else. But uh, I can't write it. I can't write fantasy. Can't do it. Although you still use the same premise of, of world building. Sure, you're just, sure. You're just doing. You're just thinking of, of the future, and you're putting this person in the future. So you're building a world. Sure, absolutely. I mean, in every real way, science fiction is fantasy. Let's face it. I mean, it's just built mm-hmm. on principles that we know we don't know not to be true. It's a double negative. I will. I will tell you this. <laughs> there was one scene when I wrote the first book that I had to put in there. It was my hero Ray on an airless moon in a space suit. Rome was gone, and he was feeling literally as the loneliest man in the universe, not just the world. And there was no radio in the spacesuit. I figured, how much more could I isolate him? But then I had to take a step back and say, well, why the hell weren't there radios in the spacesuit? I mean, who would build a spacesuit without a radio? And that is literally what turned the whole thing around because I said, well, the only people that would need a radio were those that could read mind to mind. And suddenly I had an entire society and I had to think about it for weeks and weeks. What would that be like? What would it be like if somebody could look inside your head all the time? Well, you'd you'd be embarrassed about some of the things you think about. You'd be embarrassed <laughs> to try to have a creative thought that outside the norm. So you just wouldn't bother. You'd just suppress that part of yourself. 
And that's how suddenly the Viduri society converted itself into becoming this very boring, plain, vanilla society is because people were always looking inside your head. And they could, you know, you couldn't have one bad thought. If you had one bad thought, they were going to know it. So my heroine learned to suppress it, but it was still in her. And Ray, through an artificial device, breaks through that barrier uh, and falls in love with her because he gets to actually see the real Rome beneath the surface, this very strong control surface that everyone else sees. He actually is able to break through. And he realizes she's a very lovely and very intelligent and very good person, but no one else could see that because she's so busy clamping it down. Right. So, I mean, but that's that's how I had to build that world. Is because, like, well, what if this is true? That one fact: he's in a spacesuit without a radio. What does that mean about their society? And bang! Now I got. Uh, I want to call it five books. It's really one plus two others. It, five books out of this. That one thought. You know, what does that mean to not have a radio in a spacesuit? Hmm. Wow. So. Well, yeah. And <laughs> I that's, know. that's an author in you. You know, that's a fiction writer. It says, who's yeah. a what if? What if thing? Okay, what if they didn't have a radio in the in in, in the spacesuit? So what does that mean about society? All of a sudden, your 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 right. brain is working on that resolution. <laughs> yep, that's. A I'm on there. my. I mean, if you want to count the first book as three, because I do, but nobody else does. I'm on my one, two, three, four, five. I'm on my sixth book now, still just scratching the surface of what this all means. So it's pretty cool because it's it, it's I don't even know what it means. I mean, the next one is taking on a heavy duty religious theme. I don't mean the traditional Judeo Christian sense, but my main character literally goes to hell, literally goes to Eden, goes to purgatory, and goes to heaven. They're not called those things, but and I didn't mean it to be religious. But he's just telling me that's that's what it is. It's like all because of of this one thing because there was no radio in the spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> You think it's such a simple thing, and yet it became such a monumental uh, point in fact. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, how else to turn the lens of of analysis on our own society but by creating something that's so radically different, it sweeps mm-hmm. away the conventions that would distract an ordinary reader. You're suddenly saying, you know, it's like a stage play with no props. It's like it's just these people acting because the props themselves are incomprehensibly different than we're expecting. It allows you to concentrate on the interaction of the characters, and, and that's that's what I love about it. Uh, it's yeah. the characters interacting because it's so yeah. different. Yeah, definitely. Although I do like my characters. I, I, I actually gave them a measure of <laughs> peace and a measure of happiness towards the end there. I didn't. I, I got tired of torturing them with having the same <laughs> safe society yet again. In, in fact, there's one book where Rome is bored, and her husband, Ray, he, they get married eventually, says to her, well, you've defeated a computer willing to you know, engineer the humanity of mankind. You've, you've defeated the thing that's going to destroy all society. You've, you've defeated uh, people that want to kill everybody. Like, you know, it's expected. Take a break. <laughs> it's like, she says, no, I want to do something. He said, she says, I'm not looking for, society, for excitement. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's kind of a funny scene. I mean, there's a little bit of humor in all of it. I don't, I don't write dry. I, I mean, I, I think there's, a, there's quite a bit of humor, actually, throughout the it books. Makes me wonder. Because that's how people are. This kind of reminds me of Doctor Who. I'm not sure if you ever watched Doctor Who. But you, you, they're always in some kind of calamity. And you're thinking, gee, I yeah. wonder what an off day would be like. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. It's a boring well, my, my day in time travel, you know. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I mean, literally, the, the girl Rome, way, you know? she just, she, the, the girl Rome just wants to build a library in the Ark Lords. I mean, all she wants to do is build a library because there's a whole bunch of different people, and she wants to build something where they can all look at it. And by Chapter 8, someone has come along and nuked it. It's like, oh, why? Why can't you just leave this poor girl alone? She just wanted to build a library. How bad could that be? And <laughs> and in the next book, uh, my main character comes home looking for her, and, she, and she's she's busy doing something, and he gets blown up. It's like... Why does somebody have to blow him up? He didn't do anything wrong. Right. It's like, it's, wow. But of course, explosions are more interesting than quiet family dinners. So. <laughs> right. Well, so there's there's sometimes when you see a quiet family dinner, you're going like, okay, something's going to happen here. <laughs> sure. Sure. Because no, nobody wants to, honestly, nobody wants to read about that stuff. Nobody wants to read about people having no. dinner. Nobody wants to read about people sitting around after dinner watching TV. And nobody wants to read about anybody going to the bathroom or taking a nap. That, that's, no. Those are not inherently interesting things. I mean, you have to have giant threats and, and lots of animation on the part of the characters to make the story interesting. But but in the end, like, they just asked, they begged me, say, just give us a break. Give us a little time <laughs> off. I said, okay, you got it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's one reason why I don't really care for write in first person. Uh, I don't like write in first person because if they go to sleep, then where does the story go? Exactly. It, it drops. Exactly. It drops off until they wake up. You know, so I uh, actually I did one of those. <laughs> I actually started a first person book. It was it was from the eyes of a fourteen year old boy, of, uh, imagining events that occurred. And they were very large events, and it was from his perspective. But like you said, it kind of ran out of steam because it was inherently not interesting because a lot of his life was not involved with these gigantic things. And it actually resurrected itself in the Ark Lords. I actually took, let's call it the fillet of his story, and interleaved it because it actually was an important part of the plot. So he got his, his vengeance, but it wasn't heard, told from the first person. But the story itself was not inherently interesting. I just I just couldn't do it. So I, I've given up. I'm not going to write first-person stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some people who can do it. Um, I, I, I guess I'm a voyeur. I'd like to know what everybody's thinking about everybody else. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got to be. Yep. In, I got to know. So it's I can't stay in one person. That's just not it's the way I can. I, I got to tell you, right. in fact, when I wrote the first part of the first book. This is before I had any self-confidence whatsoever, and I gave it to a professional editor, and I gave it to somebody who was aspiring to become a great novelist of literature, and they all said, oh, this, there's, there's, not, there's too much exposition, there's too much thought, you need to get to the action, 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 that's all they wanted. So I, I started cutting out all the beautiful pieces I wrote, everything that I was, which was well-considered, and got right to the action. And I actually think it kind of lost a little bit along the way. I mean, someday I have this dream. I'm never going to do it, of course, but I have this dream of going back and re- and putting it back together the way it was supposed to be and have it more slowly developing, but yet much richer. So uh, it's never going to happen, but that's my dream someday. i got yeah, too many other stories to tell. Yeah. Well, not only that, the, uh, the people who are reading, our readers have, become, uh, have changed. And that they they want they're more action oriented people now. They're, they're used to having things now. So yes. it's like you got to keep the action going, otherwise they, they're going to totally turn off on you. That's the way it is. So 
once upon a time you could take your time to develop you know the story and 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 ease into it. Uh, that's not the way it is anymore. Uh, I can't tell you how many you times I cut the beginning just to just you to make the worst it part is in there. <laughs> I, I'll tell you the worst part is back when I was you know you understand what I mean the agent go round where you were doing query letters and synopses right. and the first three chapters. Back then, my first three chapters were the best. They were polished. They were beautiful. They were close to literature, and those but they were ponderous. They were just slowly playing out the story, and those are the things that the people made me cut out. So all the beautiful written stuff. Yeah, you know, I never got to show anybody. It's like it had to jump into the action. It's like, well, wait, no. I had this really lyrical story that takes place 13 centuries earlier on Alpha Centauri and is only tangentially related to the plot of the book. But yet it shows you what the what the core of my ARC program was all about. And I said, nope, got to go. It's no, there's no action there. <laughs> it doesn't so. move the story enough, yeah. No, I know. No, to me it did. But drop no, no, to nobody else. Character so it, yeah. Yeah. You have to drop your character so and right into the action. <laughs> you know, I have had people who have told me they missed those pieces. And they'll come back. I mean, I, I'm going to put together when this is all done kind of like a deleted scenes kind of book, you know, short stories, backstories kind of thing. So they'll come back, but really, I really regret listening to other people, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately that's the way that's the way we have to market our stuff nowadays, just to raise it to the market. Um Yep. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, we can't write you can't write like the the uh, our predecessor did. Um yeah. I, I they, they, they this, wouldn't, they wouldn't me, understand they it. Right. They told me it has to be written so that a person picks it up in the bookstore and they read the first three paragraphs and you don't have something going on in the first three paragraphs and put the book down. So in my yeah. my first novel is not remotely that way. In the second one called The Ark Lords, I do start with an explosion, but it's just a grease fire. But literally, Rome's Evolution, the, the final book, literally starts out with an explosion in the first two paragraphs. So I finally have achieved that goal <laughs> where the main character is blown up. It literally in the first three paragraphs. So I've done that, yeah. but uh, but that's actually integral to the plot. I mean, the why are people trying to kill him? That's what the whole book's about. Right, so. right. I I killed my main character in the first chapter. So <laughs> in my next book is the second sentence. I have two main characters, and the second character is sucked out of our universe in the second oh sentence. Oh my god, she's gone, <laughs> and he spends the next two thirds of the book. This is a brother and sister. He spends the next two-thirds of the book trying to find her. But it's literally, she screams his name, he turns, and she's gone. And so I, I moved it up to the second sentence now. Wow. <laughs> Dagger gets the people's attention. It's like, whoa, what happened? I hope. <laughs> I can hope. So we'll see. So what's next for you? Uh, I am doing, as you can imagine, when you are trying to market yourself, it is unending. I actually have a day job where I have to do work. So between that and marketing, that eats up a bunch of my time. But um, I do know exactly what the next story is going to be. I won't say, I mean, I don't have the dialogue written and I don't have, actually that's not true. I mean, I do have quite a bit of dialogue written, but I have most of the set pieces done and all that. So when I get tired of doing marketing, then I'm going to stop and just sit there and crank it out. And quite frankly, it doesn't take me that long to write these books because I have help, which is my characters. So I can knock it out in about six weeks if when I sit down and do it. And 
So I'm getting the urge. I'm thinking like maybe next month is start sitting down doing seriously writing the next book because I know exactly what I want to do. I know exactly where it's going to go. It opens up the whole spectrum of the universe instead of this closed community, which is just basically humans and computers and an alien here or there, to the whole next level of aliens and uh, I mean God makes a guest appearance I mean it's I, I'm not an inherently religious person I just can't help it but that's the that's the stage it's taking place on so mm-hmm. I know what I want to write and really if you said just sit down and stop doing anything else and write it I could write it but uh, that's what I'm going to be doing next is the next book it, it, it's built in the same universe because quite frankly I'm lazy and I don't want to develop a whole new set of physics and culture and all that <laughs> stuff but it takes place about 20 right. years after my last book so the characters are disconnected. They're only tangentially connected to my main characters, but I don't have to. I don't have to invent a whole new world again. I can just exploit what I've already done and spend okay. more time on the action and adventure and the philosophy. So. So I take it that you didn't write down like a big long outline and and then start writing. You kind of wrote by the seat of your pants. No, no. There, there's an outline, but it's just a sentence. It's like, here's your set piece here. Like in in, uh, Rome's Revolution, chapter 2, the arc punches a hole through the atmosphere and crashes to the earth. I mean, it's just a nice set piece, and there'll be a really cool scene in the movie, but that's all I need for that. And then chapter 3, Ray and Rome crash land, don't die, open the landing gear, and walk out, and all of a sudden there's a zillion people with guns ready to kill them. it's It's just sentences here and there. Right. But it tells me enough to move the story along. And then, um, you know, why? Why are these people want to kill them Is becomes the, the meat of the book. So, yeah, I have an outline, but it's really only maybe okay. 20 or 30. I do it in Excel. It's only 20 or 30 lines in Excel of what I need the book to be because I need to figure out how long the chapters are because, you know, some chapters are going to be thinner than others and, you know, how many words to put in there. But really, it's not it's not rigid. And as we've discussed, the characters will take me wherever they want to take me. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to make them toe the line eventually and come back where they want. But but at some point they'll they'll have some say in where the book goes. Okay, okay, that sounds good. As you know, some people, all writers, you know, and the funny thing is that that readers want to know this stuff. I you know, they all want to know. Like there's some kind of uh, you know set thing that we that we fiction authors can do to, and and that they can follow to achieve what we can when we come up with a story. I mean that's one thing that I may ask so much is how in the world do you come up with the idea? <laughs> There's one item which you probably know all too well. You have to know how it ends. You can't go yeah. into a book not knowing how it ends. That's like death. <laughs> Like like my 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 last book is kind of I I love the TV show Castle with with Beckett and Castle, I so that. I kind of followed how one of their shows go. It's a, it's like a police drama, but it takes place in space with aliens and disasters and stuff. But you have to know who did it in the end. If you don't know who did it, I mean, it might be something boring. Yeah. So you have to yeah. know the end. So I know the I, end of the next book. You can't add foreshadowing unless you know what the end is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love foreshadowing. It is the it is a blast. Um, <laughs> I wrote I wrote yeah. that little piece there where I told you I had to buy that computer program where mm-hmm. I had to figure out where the stars were in 2067. That's because I just wanted the guy to say one sentence, which was foreshadowing for his his end, because he ends up in the in the in the star of Tabit, and I wanted him back on Earth before he's launched in, on in the Ark 
to be able to point up to the stars and say, you know, I'm not going there and have him point at Tabit. So I got to do that. That was for free because I already knew he ended up there in the first book. But for, I love foreshadowing. It's a blast. Yeah. It's so much fun. <laughs> exactly. So that, that's, that's why we have to know what the ending is. Uh, even though yep. the, the, and the foreshadowing sometimes happens without you even knowing it happens. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you this other thing, which is really weird, which which ties into that tapping in theory, is when I wrote the first book, I needed to stretch out one chapter, so I had Rome, my heroine, have a nightmare. And the nightmare was kind of disjointed, and it was about a, a giant thing that grow, grew up, and it was dark, and it was trying to kill her. And I never thought about it. And then I'm writing the denouement of the last book, and I realized that that was her dream. I didn't know when I wrote it at the time. It was just something to fill in a few pages. But it was literally how she dispatched the ba- big bad evil at the end was written like six years earlier, and I had no clue. So <laughs> I like that yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I tell people of what happened with me. I, I was writing this you know, this longer story and got to about three quarters of the way through and had this uh this scene that uh that I wrote and realized that that was the beginning of the story. Hmm. That was the reason for the whole entire series. So I had to pick it up and move it and rework. I did it. And everybody thinks you're a genius because they look at it and they go, like, how did you ever figure that out? And you have to explain it. Well, I didn't actually right. figure it out. It just sort of came it, to me. It just, I just knew it. Since I wrote it, it's holy crap. That's the beginning right there. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's just and holy it crap. And would, it, would, it would freak out most people. It's like, you actually picked it up and moved it and reworked the whole thing. Yeah. You have to be prepared yep, to do yep. that. Yep. Yeah. You can't keep I literally had to add one sentence. I had to add one sentence to my first book in order to justify the second one, which was uh, I added, and they took women. I literally added four words, and it made the whole second book work, given context to the first book. It was <laughs> amazing, but I could never have known that till I wrote the next book. I mean, I didn't know. Right. I thought it was all random. Right, and you, you know, if you write the whole thing from beginning to end, I think it's actually easier than writing different scenes. Uh, I know some people who oh, yeah, you got to write it by the scenes. And so I tried that in book five, and it's been a monumental disaster. So oh. <laughs> so I can't do that. i, I got to start beginning and go right. to the end, because that's just the way my brain well, works. I do, a, I do a hybrid, which is I write the important scenes from beginning to end, and then I go back and fill in. Oh, sure. But, sure. yeah, I certainly, do it, I certainly do it sequentially, the, the 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 outline of the book is and which is turned into real words is done sequentially and then I go back and fill in all the stuff and that's where all the that's where all the interesting stuff happens the ins and the outs and you discover things but yeah if you don't do a beginning to end of course as I said you have to know the ending first it doesn't mm-hmm. it just, it's so disjointed <laughs> yeah exactly and you have to be prepared to date somebody said well you got to have a transitional chapter here. Near the beginning, in order to in order for people to know, kind of get an idea of something happening in the background that there's that the bad guys are up to, and so it's a good point. So I wrote a whole new chapter too, um, and it wasn't being one of my favorite chapters. Uh, the bad guy yeah. talking. 
again, they, I think you tapped into something. They they're telling you. They're telling you how it really is going to be. Yeah, it's like yeah. You're, I said you're absolutely right. You know, we need to know. And so I said, okay. In another case, it needs to come from the bad guy's point of view, and I don't tell them who it is. I don't tell the <laughs> reader who it is. So I said, oh my God, we just got to know who it is. And I'm reading chapter two, and I'm going like, well, you just got to read the whole book. This is the way right, it is. Right. <laughs> So, it's so yeah. hard to tell people about. It's so hard to tell people about your book without spoiling it and giving them all the good I, stuff, you know, as it goes. Yeah. Yeah, and like my whole my whole thing that you read, my there is no mention whatsoever in my blurbs about. I mean, the book is 167,000 words. The whole blurb is about the first 40,000 words. There's absolutely no mention of what happens in part two and part three. Not one hint. So people read my blurb, uh, you know, and they think, oh, this is what the book's about. And all of a sudden they get to the end of part one and go like, well, wait, there's so much more of the book to go. I don't give <laughs> anybody any hints what's going, in, yeah. going on. So, because hey. I want to. I mean, cause, I mean let's I face it. It, it. I mean, everybody knows if there's a book two and there's a cliffhanger in book one and you're going to kill off your characters and then they're in book two, the fact that the book two is on the shelf means they know the character's not going to die. It kind of takes yeah. a little bit away from it. Not a lot, but a little bit. So yeah. I don't even want to tell people about parts two and three because that would eliminate some of the suspense of part one. But then, of course, I wrote another book. And then it's like, well, yeah, I have a second book, <laughs> which means they obviously don't die at the end of the first book. And I wrote right. a third one, which means obviously they don't die at the end of the second one. So it's kind of a kind of a unless people are buying them eagerly as soon as you publish them it kind of gives it away that they don't die yeah yeah and they if you have things going on you know enough going on i mean the overall uh again that one piece i took out from uh three quarters of the way in put at the beginning uh was not resolved yet but oh, they're working good. on Another it another novel <laughs> another so novel. every Every story, it, it goes. She's trying to resolve that, uh, and something else goes wrong. So, <laughs> which of course, time travel. You just love, love it. But uh, yep. it, those things happen. It's like, okay, if I change the element in this in this thing, what happens? And it's like, oh, it's like a butterfly effect. It, that's not what I wanted to happen. And so you got to change well, it how, again. How do you, <laughs> as a writer, resolve the inherent? Uh, paradox is created. If you allow people to travel into the past and yeah. interact, how do you as a writer resolve that? I mean, without invoking the multiverse theory and the multiple timelines theory, how do you work that? Do you do you believe timelines are, are bound to coalesce so you can go back in time, manipulate things, but still the timeline itself is ultimately has more inertia than anybody? I mean, how do you handle that? I would say yes to that. Um, I, I find that some things, I find that some things break, but other things don't. So, uh, for instance, the bad guy is is one of the scientists from the past and uh, from the future uh, who knows what's going to happen. Um, he purposely goes back and messes things up. Uh, and then, of course, my characters <laughs> have to try to save it. So, so he's an evil uh, scientist. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, 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 he's a... <laughs> He's a very twisted guy. So that's okay? that's it's like a it's like quantum leap. He just makes things better. It's still the same future, but he just makes things better. It's not the uh, right. back to the exactly. future kind where he changes things and, and his brother and sister start disappearing and he ruins things. So 
Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I can live with that. I can't write happened. it, but I can live with it. Yeah, I actually have a short story um, set with with my two characters actually going back and meeting, and they didn't mean to, but they <laughs> they inadvertently met uh, Shakespeare. So I'm, I'm actually going from Shakespeare's point of view and watching these two characters and uh, finding out that and, and realizing that they're definitely not from this time. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so he's um, smart enough to figure that out. That's pretty oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting to go from uh, his point of view and, and seeing my characters and uh, and what That's, happened. Um, yeah, a night in what was it? A night in King Arthur's court, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's part, court. Yeah, yeah. Where That's they become time. aware that he's from the future. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, and 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 he, you know, Shakespeare, of course, would uh, would understand more than most people would, and that. Uh, it's just like a fiction author. They're looking at it and says, you know, you're odd. Why are you odd? And all of a sudden you become interesting. Mm-hmm. And when you become interesting, then then you as a, as, as a writer, you want to know more about that person. And that's what Shakespeare would have done. He would have grabbed a hold of it and said, okay, I want to study you because something's, something's wrong here and I want to know what it is. And he would have. Were any of his Were any of his famous works then... In our reality, created because these people went back in time. Well, he has written about time travel and and some sonnets as well as I think that some of his stories actually could have come from there. So uh, hmm. just just like for instance, uh, there is is a correlation that somebody did actually think this um, that Leonardo da Vinci actually was time traveler. Because otherwise, how did he know so many little things like submarines and and airplanes and and things that definitely should not have worked? Wasn't that uh, the guy at the, the the TV show Alias? They were tracking down a Leonardo kind of guy who they figured yeah. out was a time traveler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is not new in 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 the ideas of of uh, some fan you know fantasy readers. They're thinking the same thing that you know. What if Leonardo was a time traveler? Well, right. that just gets your mind going. And <laughs> yes, what if? Yeah, means? I can't do that. I mean, I like I like reading it like everybody else, but I can't do it. I I can only do like I said. I can only do non-interaction travel one way, one direction travel. I can't do it. But uh, I certainly <laughs> I, like the movie Looper. I really liked it. I mean, there's so many flaws with it, but I really yes. liked it. It was a fun but movie. The ending, so. But the ending just, I literally stood up and yelled because it was so good. It's what I would have done. Yeah. I would have written it that no, way. It was, a, it was like, yes! <laughs> it was a movie called Frequency with John Caviezel and uh, Dennis Quaid, where he, he's able to talk to his dad through the shortwave and oh, they interact oh. with the past. I mean, I love those movies like anybody else. I just can't write them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because you, if you if you're really going to be rigid on your science, then then you're going to have some problems, obviously. Um, but I try to use because I happen to love physics, so uh, you know I I don't believe in in you know some of these romance stories where the woman falls asleep on a cart bench and wakes up in a different time. I've got to have a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was uh, uh, Meg Ryan and uh, Hugh Jackman were in one of those movies? Kate and Leopold, oh, where oh my 
Oh my I think God, he yeah. fell asleep and came That's forward. Right. I don't remember which one that was, but one of them went back in time or forward in time or whatever. Yeah. So. yeah. Actually, so uh, I did the yeah, same thing. I did Kate Leopold. Forward. I did Kate and Leopold only in the 35th century. So it's just yeah, <laughs> yeah. mine was a one-way trip. <laughs> the only reason I, I that was even redeeming is because I happen to like do Hugh Jackman. It's otherwise, forget it. You know. <laughs> I even like Hugh Jackman. I like Meg Ryan too, though. Or at least I used to like Meg Ryan. I've seen her recently. It's not as great as it. She's yeah, not as good looking yeah. as she used to be, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hugh Jackman's it, awesome. It, he's great. Yeah, he's gotten better. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it depends on which movies and how pumped up he gets. But, uh, you know, he's good no matter what movies. And he's, he's just got that personality. Uh, people like him when he's off screen, you know. Um, yep. He's he just got that. that and he's just Dude, so ooh. multi-talented. Do you think I can get him yeah. to play my hero if I get my movie cast? Gosh, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Oh, that would be awesome. It would make it very expensive, but that would be awesome. Uh, well, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to make a movie of the book. So, I mean, I really, like I said, I try to write it so that you, the reader, or whoever's reading it, you know, gets a real clear vision of what the scene looks like. I love that. I love writing that way. But uh, now, I, I think it'd be a little expensive. It, yeah, no. But then again, you know, that's the reason people go to movies sometimes is if you put somebody who's big enough name and reminds you enough of your character, then, you know, they'll see it. Some more people see it. And that's the name of the game. I have included your website. I'm including um, the Ark Lords right now. Um, the, honestly, the only one they really need is... Right. The only one they really need is RomesRevolution.com because that has links to all the other ones. It's kind of like the springboard for everything. It's kind yeah. of funky because you write a book and then you have a, the book is the same name as the trilogy. It's like, well, what do you do? What do you, I mean, how do you do that? It's like Star Wars was the first movie, but it was Episode Four. Now everybody calls it Star Wars. Nobody calls Star Wars a New Hope. It's it's, no. it's like it gets confused. But but it really <laughs> Rome's Revolution was is the name of the series. There's also the name of the first book. But but that that website will get you everywhere you want to go. It's got links to all the other websites. It's got links to the, where you can buy the books. It's got uh, my wiki, which you saw, which I wrote, called The Science Behind the Science Fiction, which is yeah. It's got links to the blog. It's got everything, you know, because I, I, can't, I can't turn it off. I just like writing, so I just do it. <laughs> so. And, of course, uh, just so everybody knows, got to link this back to you, the WAD, and that uh, his first article is going to be in September's issue. So definitely want to read that. Um, I'm going through that to make sure I, I got a second person reading through it uh, right now, so that way we can put it up online first before it goes into print. So that'd be great. We're excited oh, by the way, do you know where Peoria is? Do you know where Peoria, Arizona is? Oh yeah, Peoria is actually. It's, isn't it pretty close to you? Well, it's within the valley. Yeah, I'm in Mesa, so yeah, it's like I have suburb. I have a fan club. I have a fan club of one club, person really? in Peoria. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Oh, well, I probably know him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, let him know um, that, and then you know, I'll let. Of course, I'll give you guys I'll give you the link when it gets online, as, as as well as you know, being able to give you a copy, so that way you can you can read it. Um, imprint says so it's, it's interesting that um, actually focusing on fiction this particular issue. So I've got. I got two short. Uh, I got the finish of of uh, the three part story that 
that we've been putting in, in the last few issues. So this is the end of that one. And then I also have a, another short story, which I think you'd find interesting. So be something to read. So well, I've got you fiction. Be, you can be sure I'll be reading it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll like that one. Yeah. Because uh, one thing I wanted to ask you. One, one, thing I, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you about, which is my whole life, I, ha- I have, I'm an avid reader of science fiction. I love science fiction movies, but I have never, ever been to a science fiction convention. And apparently, oh, there's one. I live in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. There, apparently, there's one called PhilCon, which I'm sure you heard yeah. of, which yeah. has been going on for years and years and years and years. I never even heard of it before, and so finally this year, by accident, I tripped across the Philadelphia Science Fiction Society, who sponsors <laughs> PhilCon. And I've been going mm-hmm. to a couple of their meetings. It's just like I literally have stumbled across this universe of people that are intelligent and read science fiction and put on this yeah. convention. So I'm going to go to my first science fiction convention this year in my entire life. <laughs> you, I, I think you might meet one of my authors, um, Michael D'Ambrosio, uh, also writes time travel, by the way. Um and he's got a, a, a couple series. He's got a, a, a horror series and a couple, well, one space um, opera and then one time travel. So um, and he lives in Philadelphia and hmm. he works in New Jersey. So there you go. <laughs> we probably cross each other on 295. Yeah, yeah, you see. So. And he goes to conventions everywhere. And so he can, he can definitely show you the ropes as far as conventions should go, should go to. And he does reviews yeah, for me in the paper for different cons. Okay. I will definitely <laughs> look him up because my, my intent, since I live here and I can walk to the place, my intent is to go and check the whole thing out. I mean, I swear I never went to one of those in my life. And it's literally in my backyard. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had other authors that say, you say uh, how do you get into this con business? Well, I went. I've gone to conventions for 20 years now. <laughs> so, yeah, do, uh, you know, these, these, have, these are my um, target audience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's, let's face it. Where are you going to go to find a better group of people? Oh, I know, like-minded so. people who, 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 you know, dig your stuff. Yep. And understand it. <laughs> I don't I'm think you're looking, crazy. I'm actually looking forward to it. Yeah, yep, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you're right. But you can be among other crazy people, so it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and then of course they 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 love you. I you've got you you've got this attitude, it's a great attitude, and you've you've got an enthusiasm about what you're writing, and people love that. Okay. Yeah. So oh, I, uh, I know you I know I you'll do well so there. Much. Thank you. And you know once once you get involved with this group, you just need to you know work it and say hey you know how um, I got you know you give somebody who's in the know, somebody who's in charge. Uh, a set of your books and say and, and say when you get a chance would you would you read my book because um, I really would like to be uh, I would like to be able to to be a participant use the word participant um, someday you know someday soon I might I might have <laughs> pulled that off and I'll tell you why I might have pulled that off and I'll tell you why they have this thing called the science track are you there mm-hmm. yeah I'm okay here. it's got all noisy they have this thing called the science track and they had nobody doing anything. I said, well, I have a uh-huh. PhD. I can do the science track. They said, okay, so I'll find out in another couple of weeks. But if that's the case, then I already kind of, kind of got my in because I have to know something about science. So that would be kind of cool. Yes. You see, you did it. I didn't have to give you anything. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I don't know if it's you or me, but the line got really noisy all of a sudden. Yeah. Do you hear that was, noise? No, it's probably storm because I was having problems oh. earlier. We have a storm here, um, but you're probably having an issue between the you know in the lines. So, uh, anyway, we're we're getting close to the end though. Are you still there? Yes, I'm still here, but okay. actually it's clearing okay. up a little bit. I just I didn't know if that was my phone or not. Yeah, you can never tell. It might be either or that. Because um, I'm on Skype, so sometimes if you know, it catches certain things, it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the funny okay. thing is, you actually presented me with a technological challenge. I said, how in the hell am I going to stay on a phone for an hour? None of my cordless phones will last that long. I actually had to go deep digging into a box and find a corded phone. Like, I haven't <laughs> seen this thing in like five years. I found a corded phone. It's like there you the go. It's gone now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like... Who would have thought? <laughs> so I have a question for you. And it's a question sure. I, sometimes, I sometimes ask people who are, are fun to interview at the end of the interview. So that way it kind of helps you. There's no right or wrong answer because what it does, it tells people, you know, kind of about your personality with the answer. So the question is, now that you have successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate? There's no time to celebrate. You got to go into the next dragon. There you there's go. no, there's no time. <laughs> no time to celebrate. Got to get on that dragon. <laughs> yep, there is there. It's an unending, unending stream of dragons. You got to take them on and go on to the next one. There's no time to relax. <laughs> there you I go. I don't know if that's so the right answer know. or not, but. Well, yeah, I said there was no right or wrong answer. It, it shows your tenacity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you gotta have us gotta have those other dragons. That means that there must be other stories to tell. Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna die before I run out of them. That's I oh, they're just in my head yeah. all the time. I've been I just write them down, and I just gotta get them out there. And honestly, before the self publishing revolution, I kind of got discouraged. But now mm-hmm. there it's there's no limitations. It's just go. There you go. Well, I I really enjoyed your conversation. I knew I would, and uh, we'll <laughs> okay. definitely have to. <laughs> when you go after you go to con, like, well, how you know? Give me a review of yeah, it. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's kind of gonna be kind of neat. It'd so, be interesting uh, interesting to get a review from from you know uh, a newbie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, well, I, I owe you an article for October and I owe an article for yeah. November. So in December, I'll, whether you like it or not, I'll send you some notes on what I discovered because the, cause the con takes place in November. So. That's so, perfect. Okay. <laughs> so thanks so much. Well, thank you. And, I really uh, appreciate it and, and I really enjoyed it. We'll be talking again soon. <laughs> okay. I just know it. I just know it. <laughs> Bye. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Bye. That was Michael, and boy, that was a stimulating conversation, wasn't it? Uh, we are getting pretty close to the end of our show, um, but I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have another show coming up in two days, and again, another stimulating show. Uh, we're really liking these uh, particular shows because it's more science-oriented, and um, let's see this. So we have another one, but it'll be 5.30 uh, instead of 6. As I already said it, 
Um, I've been trying to do one just a little bit later, uh, a 6 rather than 5.30, because that gives me time to get <laughs> what I need to do done and get back here in time. But I set this one for 5.30, and um, I sure hope I'm not I'm not butchering his name because uh, he is Indian, Indian from India. Um, is Devinder or Devinder, one or the other, I guess I'll find out when I when I talk to him. Uh, Demon. So, take a look at uh, you know. Obviously, after the show, you can look at the next show coming up and find out a whole lot more about what's going on with that uh, particular show. Again, uh, science oriented. Um, we're talking about um, the creation. <laughs> So here we're talking about destroying time, and now we'll go into uh, creation. So there we go. We give you the the end and the beginning all in one week. How can we handle that? So that'll be Thursday, and we got a whole lot of things going coming up in October. It's just going to be mind-numbing, actually. But for those who are going to be Dragon Con is this weekend. That's uh, Labor Day weekend, so that always means Dragon Con. It also means uh, Worldcon. So, uh, hi guys. I know a lot of you are going to both of those. Um, Sabotencon, which is comics and gaming. So, that's this weekend as well, locally here. And so, that's uh, that's three different cons all in one weekend. I know there's more, but uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, this weekend also locally is going to be Central Phoenix Open Mic, I will be there. Squash Blossom on First, uh, First Avenue and First Street. Sorry about that. First Street in Phoenix, right in the heart of downtown, right where the all the eclectic people live, So, <laughs> which is why I like it so much. Anyway, we're doing a little bit of poetry on Open Mic. Uh, that's not my usual thing, but we're also doing some fiction. So... Um, but then again, I know so many poets, and 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 they're all a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> we'll talk to. Um, so at the Central Phoenix Open Mic, and that starts at six thirty to nine on Saturday. Now it's the thirty first. Also, Dark Ones are having a party. Yay! That starts at eight o'clock. So you know where I'll be after after uh, spitting in the mic. I'm going to be out out drinking at Dark Ones Party. So uh, that's again locally. And you must be invited. <laughs> but it's in Glendale, so I'm sure that you guys uh, can get on Facebook and find out if you're attached to me. You can find out what's going on if, you're, if you haven't already been invited. Um, we got a lot of things coming up in October. Man, it's, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy busy. Um, and I won't go into it now because honestly, you know, six minutes is not even enough to do that. So uh, I'm going to be putting it up on, on Facebook. Many of you guys know a lot of different things are coming up in October. Um, and September's been very busy too because we're actually uh, ramping up for the fall. And we've got a couple about we're going to. Um, a couple of small towns in in, in Arizona. This should be a lot of fun. Um, we're hoping to get out again to see uh, all of our new friends from last year at Humboldt Library. Also, we got some new friends in Snowflake. Hey, guys. Uh, there is an awesome 
little place called, uh, it's a cyber cafe. You guys know who you are. And uh, we'll be coming out and see you guys. Uh, they bring some interesting uh, authors with me. Uh, and if you guys are lucky, maybe a cosplay person. And it, it's just a great way to introduce you to the new con that uh, Aaron's trying to build up there. A great community thing. And uh, we're excited for him. So we definitely want to support that. Um, You're obviously uh, oriented to those who love cosplay and conventions. Um, And uh, we support those people in every way we can. Uh, We also have Keen Halloween coming up at the end of September. Uh, Going to be out actually doing uh, interviews, uh, radio shows, and uh, covering the press September 28th and 29th. That'll be Saturday and Sunday. Again, luckily. Uh, Rapture Con's coming up. That's the uh, very first weekend of October. By then we'll have two papers. <laughs> Brown Coat Ball. Brown Coat Ball. That was awesome people who love to talk about uh, Serenity and like to dress up in uh, Victorian century type of attire and lots of gadgets. And we love gadgets. You know, Time Time Machine was born in that era. So the Brown Coat Ball 2013 is going to be on October 6th. Um, so 6th or 5th? 4th? 4th, 5th. i got to move my calendar. And 6th. So the ball itself is going to be on Saturday, the 5th. But the... Yeah, the brown coat ball itself is going to be on six, but they've got like a whole weekend of of fun um, for that weekend as well. So definitely take guys take a look at the website. Um, go to the wad.com. I'm sorry, wad.net. The wad, w-o-d dot n-e-t, and look at the calendar, and you will see everything I'm looking at right now. Uh, in the months ahead, and click on it, and it gives you a map and gives you look, you know, locations and tidbit information um, for all these places that I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, look at the calendar and find out what's going on around you. Have fun, and as always, this is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand signing out for the day. Thanks so much.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.